I really want to just put it out there that I really hate driving down State Street, which is like the big street in our I city. I hate State Street. Um, I mean, for a lot of reasons, but there are now not one, but two marquee signs advertising shakes of different varieties. <laughs> Yeah. So there's the local coffee shop that is currently advertising Red Bull shakes. Oh my oh, gosh! Gross. Yeah, I that, like Red that Bull. Sounds really good to me. <laughs> and I mean, normally I may like don't knock it till you try it kind of person, and like people like what they like. But like I saw that, and then a little further down, there's a Skippers that's advertising Postum shakes. Postum? What is that? I don't even know what that is. Postum is a non-caffeinated coffee alternative Ugh. from, like, I'm pretty sure the last people that drank it are, like, actually currently in a nursing home. Why not like, just make coffee shakes? It's and a Mormon thing. It's uh, like, I guess oh, true. it's a hot breakfast drink thing. Yeah. And I can kind of, like, feel like I'm drinking coffee. Yeah. Like, just drink coffee. Yeah. No, coffee really, there is no substitution. I, um... We came down from the mountain camping for a few days last weekend, and we found the first diner we could find, and the first thing we were like is, like, we need coffee. Like, we need it. And it was, like, it, it instantly brought life back into me. There's something. <laughs> maybe it's an addiction. I don't know. But it, like, was... It It, it was... I was going to say enervating, but I don't think that's a real word. I think that's a spell. I think enervate <laughs> is a spell. <laughs> It was super enervating. <laughs> it works. Oh, it does. And that's actually a pretty good segue into part three of our Harry Potter journey. Yay. Let's hit the intro. and so far only other Boogers and Bad Drivers episode, we're just going to keep it like a tight five minutes of yeah. just some of our pet peeves here that are not related to Harry Potter. Oh, yes. Just to, just to get them off our chest. So for me, I'm going to start off with playlists that have differing sound levels between tracks. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, I hate that so much because I'm just like, I don't want to touch my phone right. while I am listening to music. I want it all to be the same volume level all the way across. Yeah. And if I, you know, want to listen to an 80s love ballad one moment and then, like, I don't know, a modern dance song next, there shouldn't be, like, three volume right. notches difference between the two. Well, and there's an issue with that with old music, too. I think they... Um, oh, yeah. I think they didn't... What is it called? Compression? I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure they really understood how to like com do that really well, but I mean, I I know what you mean. Similarly, I would like to watch a movie or TV show without having to turn it up when the dialogue is happening <sighs> and turning it all the way down when they're shooting at each other. And not even that, like for The Office, I'll be watching The Office and like drifting asleep, and all of a sudden, the like the theme will come on, and it's like this rock song, and it's so loud, and I always like jolt awake. Oh, it's yeah, it's such a bad yeah, it's not nice. 
it wouldn't even be that hard because no. YouTubers level their audio all the time. Right. It can't like how be that easy. Hard. Yeah. Just like have an overall program like, hey, any song in this playlist program, right. level the audio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my first one. My one of my pet peeves. Um, I I'm sure everyone experiences this at least like once a day, if not at least once a week. But weaving motorcycles drive me crazy. Um, and not just because like, it makes me feel insecure with my own, you know, mundane driving, but also because I'm afraid that I'm going to drive up like two miles and find them crashed on the ground. And I know I never understand why they need to weave, like why, maybe it's just cause they're on a zippier little machine. But it always gives me anxiety. It always makes me self-conscious about my own driving. I'm like, am I going fast enough? Like, am I keeping people behind me? Am I going to see a fatal crash in front of me because they wanted to drive? I don't know. That's a that's more of a that's more of um, an anxiety and not a pet peeve, I suppose. (laughs) No, but I think it's a genuine thing that needs to be addressed because, like, when you study for your motorcycle license you are supposed to follow the same laws as everybody else. Uh And that includes just staying in your lane and driving in between lanes. Yeah. Like, that's not a special motorcycle lane. And And the thing that I don't understand, I walk and ride my bike basically everywhere. Yeah. Um, And I'm constantly looking out for drivers. Just like... It can... Do I absolutely know that this person can see me? Right. You have to do that. Letting off the break yeah because sometimes they can't see you yeah and yes you do have the right of way but that's not a reason to be a jerk yeah would you rather you know, have the right of way or be dead you know there are times where i just like yeah, you have to double check and then there are times where i just kind of like meander on a sidewalk and like don't look like i'm gonna cross because somebody's barreling up going to make a right turn and i'm like right. i don't want to creep scare that person i don't yeah. want that person to not see me and run me over right and I hate, like, the whole uncertainty of, like, it's are you going to go? Are you going to go? Like, I'm just going to I'm just gonna stand, like, five feet away from the sidewalk, facing the other direction, right. and just let them go, and it'll take two seconds off my day. Yeah, that's safe. And, yeah, and yeah. and similarly, um, when I see bikers, because I ride my bike not as, not as often as MJ, but when I see bikers just shoot through red lights or um, stop signs... Because it's clear that no one's coming on the other side. And I'm just like, it's a law. Like, you'll get in huge yeah. trouble. And, you're like, it's so dangerous. Like, you have to follow this. It just drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. It's not that hard. I mean, every psych- or motorist, car driver who's hit a pedestrian has been sure that there was no pedestrian right. there. Mm-hmm. Like, they didn't think, oh, there's a pedestrian. I'm just going to run them over. Right. Like, <laughs> that's just not a thing. It, it They miss you. Like, yeah, it, they miss you. And it's just as a weaving, you know, motorcyclist, it's just like, why do you care so little about yourself? And why are you being so rude to the other people? Because, you know, they're trying their best, but there are blind spots on cars. Yeah. Like, just because you think you're cool and you're on this little motorcycle doesn't mean that... that there are not blind spots on cars right we don't hate you we're worried for you yeah we're worried (laughs) that's what we're saying all right that's mine so i have giant man hands (laughs) 
I just... Okay. If my hands were just like a little bit bigger, I could actually palm a men's NBA basketball. I cannot buy gloves because the women's gloves are too small, but the men's gloves, while they're long enough in the fingers, they're also too roomy in the palm. Right. So nothing... I just don't have gloves. Nothing fits me. And mittens just aren't the same because you can't, like, you don't have the same... Your fingers aren't free right, to do things. Free. And this especially becomes a problem when you want to apply false nails. When you buy a kit of false nails, they're like, oh my gosh, 20% more nails. There's like 30 nails in this kit. <sighs> That's great. But it only serves me when at least two of them are big enough to fit on my thumbs. <laughs> if they're not big enough to do that, like, I... I can't use your nails. That's great that you're giving me extra, but some it's useless. Right. And all those cute nails, the impress, the nailing, the whatever, all those cute little kits where they got the pre-painted nails and you just glue them on. Yeah. None of those fit me. Oh. Like I have to get the kits of like 300 nails and like pick out like the individual nails. And even then I can only get probably six manicures out of it. And all the rest is just goes in the trash because there's like little Barbie nails. I look at them and I'm just like, whose hands are yeah, these going on? They're going on my sister's they are hands. They're so tiny. Exclusively. Ugh. <laughs> tiny baby hands. <laughs> only Carmen's sister. Yeah. She's the only just, one that has fingers small enough for it. And yeah. yeah. And I, I tried going on like drag queen websites and seeing like what kind of nails they had because... There are, like, Etsy shops and other websites that cater to people who cross-dress. And yeah. they have, you know, larger nail beds. But they're also pre-painted. They only come in, like, red and pink, yeah. which I don't wear either of those colors. Right. And they're, like, three inches long. And I'm like, no, yeah. I just want, like, a sleek, neutral, active oval that just looks nice. Yeah. And isn't like, I'm a cross-dresser, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I understand. So I think we talked about this in like our very first potpourri episode, how much I really like good covers of songs. Yeah. And kind of on the flip side, I really hate bad covers of songs. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but like I am filled with just unspeakable rage at how like how hard people on the internet pushed for Weezer to do a cover of Toto's Africa. Oh my gosh, and don't how touch it. unremarkable it is. It is, like, it literally sounds like the band went to Best in Music, bought the sheet music for it, and then just recorded it. Oh. Like, played it as is and recorded it. Like, they didn't put a Weezer spin on it. They didn't do anything unusual. They were just like they were probably okay, just giving into what you want. Yeah, they were probably just giving into pressure. That sucks. That song doesn't deserve to be messed up. Well, and that's the thing is that they didn't mess it up. They just played it, like. But it literally, lame. the only difference between their version and Toto's version is like you can tell that the singer is different. Yeah. Ugh. And it like I just. And people just went nuts for it. They were like, oh my gosh, finally. And I just listened to it and I was like, I had to check my phone several times as the YouTube like video was playing right. to make sure that I didn't actually choose the actual recording because it's just so similar. 
That's right? how I feel about piano guys, honestly. Yeah. Huh. Like, it's just very uninspired. Yeah. It it just doesn't do anything for me. So, that's it. Also, why Weezer? Didn't yeah, they stop seems... being a band, like, <laughs> eight years ago? thought so. <laughs> You'd think. But they're still... They're still banned. Carmen. Um, let's see. What can I... Uh... Um, okay. Um, so this didn't actually happen this weekend, but it just reminded me of something that happened this weekend. After my um, cabin trip, my family reunion, which I want to talk about just a little bit because it was Harry Potter themed. I'll talk about that later, though. But mm. after my cabin trip, Michael, we're on our way home and we found an exit that would take us to Cedar Breaks, which is a national park. And we were like, oh, why not? So we drove off and had a nice little view of Cedar Breaks. It's kind of like a smaller version of the Grand Canyon. It was very, very cool. Um, anyway, that was a very nice and peaceful trip, but it reminded me of a lot of hikes that we've gone on where now kids are taking up, like, since boom boxes are so portable now, like, all you need is, like, a little Google mm. Home or whatever, kids will take up their boom boxes up these beautiful trails and blast their music, and that is a big pet peeve, not because I dislike their music, because they're usually listening to good stuff, but I'm, I'm also just like, why can't you guys just talk? I don't even care if you talk loudly, like talk to each yeah. other and like laugh and stuff but don't play music up here because that is not everyone's choice to to listen to your music and it does change right. it changes the it changes the atmosphere a little bit even if it again it's good music if it's fitting like you know it's mountainous or peaceful or you know folksy or whatever i'm just like i don't want to listen to your music like put on some headphones or something have some shared headphones but let me just like sit in silence let me sit in quiet if i choose to I just think it's really, yeah. it's super inconsiderate. And I mean, they, uh, and they're always in huge groups. They're always younger kids, just in huge groups of like 10 or 12 hiking up Timpanogos or up to Lake Catherine or something. And they have this little boombox sticking out of one of their pockets, just blasting like Laney or freaking young, young L. I don't know what they listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they listen to. What the kids listen to anyway that is a huge pet peeve and i've been trying to find it in myself to muster up the courage to say something next time i see it but i'm usually scared of youths so i don't really approach <laughs> <laughs> yeah well and i'll even say like i don't mind if they're playing if i don't hear it well yeah. before or well after yep me like too. if it's quiet enough that like it's I just in it, their area you know, five feet away yeah yeah that's, that's different fine, even like if that's how you want to appreciate being outside, that's fine, because you're outside. Yep. But Mary Jane and I actually hiked up to Silver Lake a couple weeks ago, uh -huh. and there were a couple of guys that were playing music so loud that we could hear it for ten full minutes yep. before we actually, like, passed by them. It's so irritating. And it was, like, the chain smokers or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah. That's... I've had roommates in the past that are like that. They're like, I have to have music playing all the time. And it's like all on a laptop always. Yeah. And, and... they like carry their laptop around. <sighs> and I'm like, this is my house. Yeah. Like, I live here. I would like to not hear. <laughs> well, and honestly, to each their own. Like, I mean, Michael usually likes to have music on more often than not. But, I mean, we've just gotten good at, like, communicating to each other where I'll just be like, you know, I'd actually, it's still really early in the morning. I'd actually rather just listen to nothing and silence right now. Yeah. And and I think, um, yeah, that's just a balance you have to find with your roommates. But that really sucks because I love yeah. quiet. I love the quiet. I mean, mm -hmm. I think probably 50% of my, 
100% of my time driving to the bakery earlier in the morning was quiet. I couldn't stand music that early in the morning. Yeah. It's just, it's... I've been... Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, I'm really lucky with my roommates now because they're, they like being really quiet. But yeah. just like, and I don't even mind, like, I'm getting ready in the morning, so I'm going to play some music in the bathroom. Sure. Like, that's fine. But when it's like, there has to be noise constant, happening yeah. all the time. It's just like, what is going on in your brain where you have to have that all the time? Right. Yeah. So we are um, back again talking about Harry Potter. And as you may have picked up from the title of this track, we're not going to say nice things about it this time around. Yeah. We said all our nice things before. Yeah. I I call this the uh, midichlorian theory, where people who love a franchise so much that they think about it all the time start to hate it and you see this with star wars fans in particular because you talk to star wars fans and like hardcore star wars fans hate star wars like with a burning passion they obviously also love it but there's definitely that moment where it's like so uh midichlorians and like just triggered they're just triggered Yeah, and I think that's the mark of the mark of loving something a lot is watching it or experiencing it enough to find the things that you despise about it. Yeah, and so we have all um, ended up in this situation where we have lived and breathed Harry Potter for many, many years now, and there are things about it that we just can't stand. So I think uh, this particular episode, we are even at a higher risk of getting off topic and just starting to like froth at the mouth. So we're going to try and keep it a little structured, but um, no promises. Right. Okay. So uh, I think we're going to start off a little bit concerning like the world building that Rowling has, you know, done and also a little bit with the story, but where is Child Protective Services? Yeah. Like, why isn't Harry, Harry gets getting dropped some help? off? Yeah, Harry gets dropped off at his aunt and uncle's, and they abuse him so badly that Child Protective Services should be stepping in and being like, you have to give him a real bed. He can't sleep on a blanket underneath your stairs. Yeah. Like, he, he is a growing child that you have been... Also... Who who gave him to you? Where are <laughs> yeah, his parents? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, okay, maybe Child Protective Services just missed him because he flew under the radar somehow. But he goes to public school. You can't just show up with a kid that, I guess, doesn't have... Does he have illegal presence in the muggle world? Right. How? I'm sure... Yeah, I'm sure the Dursleys have hidden him, like, so well that no one really knows about him nor cares. Like, I think it just, like, drives home Harry's, la- like, his aloneness, I guess. I mean, it's still ridiculous just, to me. It doesn't make sense. Like, you, he's going to the school, and as a teacher, you're like, this kid looks like he hasn't eaten in days. Yeah. He's wearing clothes that don't fit him. Yeah. That are, you know, dirty, probably. Well, and, like, uh, What's going on? <laughs> let's also talk about the fact that... It's possible he also showed up to school with bruises because in, I think, like the second or third book, he says something to Aunt Petunia that she actually, like, takes a swing at him with a skillet. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, that is not something that people do lightly. No. That is the sign of, like, severe Yeah, she's abusive. aiming. Yeah. She's aiming to she, hit. Yeah. So, I mean, 
she didn't even think about it. How many times did she or Vernon just like not even think about, you know, grabbing his arm too tightly that they leave bruises or shoving him down like the last five stairs or actually hitting him with like a spoon or a spatula like in the head because that's where in the book it's described she takes a swing at his head right it's not even like you know at his thigh or something something that's gonna hurt but ultimately not be like too you know long lasting like consequences yeah if she had connected like he'd have have a concussion It would have been bad. Um, At best. Yeah. Yeah. And the the abuse is a big deal. I think it's the neglect more than anything. And I mean, I want to plug in my first beef with Dumbledore real quick. Yes. When he says in the beginning of the book, and you know, he has a point here, which we can talk about, but it more, this line more represents like the chain of um, the habit that Dumbledore has of leaving Harry out of things that he deserves to know. Mm-hmm. The first thing, the first time Harry, um, the first time Dumbledore leaves Harry out of, is when he's dropping him off and says to McGonagall, can't you see how much better off he'll be growing up away from all that until he's ready to take it? And sure, fine, maybe that's a good point. Maybe if he had grown up in his fame, he would have turned out worse than he did. You know, he might have been a little bit full of himself, but also he was alone that entire time. And mm-hmm. I think that had so much more of an effect on a child you know, having no one in this world that loves you than than it would have having too many people in this world that love you, you know? Oh. And I I think it goes into that ties into um this is what I think. I think it's absolute crap that they don't tell Muggleborn kids that they're witches or wizards before they're eleven. Mm-hmm. And since Harry himself didn't know. Right. You know, that's kind of the same thing because weird stuff is happening, right? Whether or not they know, and so you have these parents, and you have Harry. Like, what the hell's going on? Right? Like, why am I like this? And you know, that never is an issue, I guess, with wizard-born witches and wizards, um, or born into magical families, because of course they're going to know that yeah. they're going to grow up. But yeah, for for Muggle-born families or for the situation that Harry's in, I feel like it would behoove a lot of the parties involved to know like, hey, just so you know, this is what's going on. <laughs> we'll officially yeah. address it in a few years, but like, don't panic. We're, we were still keeping an eye on him, right? Yeah. And also just... Well, and it's heavily implied that the Dursleys were supposed to tell him at some point. Oh, because yeah. when Hagrid picks him up, he loses his mind. You're right. He's like, you were, you never told him about his parents, and they're like, they were bums. And he was like, no, <laughs> they were yeah. a couple of the most important, like the most important witch and wizard of all time. And you just let Harry think that they were bums, like. First of all, that is awful. Again, going to that, like, aloneness of not just being alone, but also being told that you are a reject. But then also, like, he says, you know, you are supposed to tell him that he's a wizard. And why did Dumbledore, and this is my beef with Dumbledore to start out with, why did Dumbledore never check in? Like, he didn't... The thing is, he knew. Yeah. There's, later on... I, I can't remember. I think it's like the fifth book or something. He's aware. When he's explaining 
that Harry has inherited Grimald Place mm-hmm. and Creature and what to do about Creature. And he's sitting in the living he's in the living room with the Dursleys and with Harry and talking about how badly they've treated Harry and how badly they've treated Dudley. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's it's supposed to be this moment where it's like, yeah, uncle Vernon and aunt Petunia, they're going to talk into, but then you remember Harry never said about anything that happened to Dumbledore. He never said, Oh my parents. Of course he did. He's always keeping an eye on him. And he apparently thought it didn't ever get bad enough for him to intervene, which is BS. It is. It is. Like, and if he didn't want Harry to, like, think that he was special, you know, having somebody check in on him, just, like, show up and, like, talk to Petunia when, you know, the kids are at school and when Vernon's at work. Right. And just be like... Hey, so give him a just bed. In. Where where's his bedroom? Show me his bedroom. Oh, it's under the stairs. Great. He doesn't have a mattress. Yeah, you need to fix that. Also, I'm a wizard, and like the Dursleys are so afraid of magic that literally all he would have to do is say, "P.S. I'm a wizard," and they would be like, "Oh crap! Oh crap! Oh crap!" And they like the next day, Harry would be like, "I have a bedroom." Right, yeah. and they'd be like. Yes, we've changed our mind. And they'd say it, like, through clenched teeth. Right. But, you know, they don't have to talk about the wizarding world. Yeah. It's just, it's all crap. It's crap. <laughs> and, like, what was the point of Miss Miss Fig? Yeah. Like, if she's not there to prevent this abuse and to make sure that he's okay, why is she, what's the point? What's the point of her? And you know, this might this might have all chalked this might all be chalked up to J.K. Rowling maybe not completely planning this part out. Maybe I mean the fact that you have a main character who is you know oppressed and you know, immediately you, you can tell he's different from the rest of the people around him. That's an attractive part of the story. Is that you're like, oh man, I'm on his side then, you know. And maybe I don't know. Maybe it would have taken something away if Harry had been taken care of the whole time. I don't know. It wouldn't have been as much of a hero's story, I suppose. But, yeah, it doesn't excuse the characters. Maybe it, maybe it excuses the author, but not the characters. Yeah, <laughs> It's right. such an easily fixable thing, though. Like, it just... Yes, he was abused, and there was something different about him. And then he finds out he's a wizard, and then years later, Dumbledore's like, Wait, what? Yeah. Like, uh... They, they told me that yeah. they were taking good care of you yeah. and everything was that fine. That is true. They, that, that is true. I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have been characteristic of Dumbledore to not know what was going on, but that would have been an easier fix than just having Dumbledore be a horrible caretaker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now this is a bit of a stretch, I think. Um, and I also have to say, like, I don't have a psychology degree, but I have seen a friend of mine argue online that what Dumbledore did is actually a form of emotional abuse yeah. where he allows the victim. And I like, this is, I guess in general where the abuser allows the victim to be in such a horrible situation that when they finally get out of it, the abuser is the one that like, you know, descends like an angel and is like, I'm here to fix it. And now you have to love me. Mm-hmm. Which is really crappy behavior. <laughs> so, you know, and again, like, I feel like it is a little bit of an, 
a stretch because I wouldn't call Dumbledore an abuser necessarily. I think that he um, is very egotistical and he lets his position in the wizarding world kind of get the better of him most of the time. And I think he has very poor decision-making abilities. Right. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I would call him an abuser. Yeah, it just seems kind of weird. I mean, Rowling does establish that he can't be trusted with power. And so that part doesn't surprise me. And, like, the manipulation is also established as part of his character. But just, like, there's a certain point where it's like, okay, if you want me to continue to even remotely like this character, you need to rein it back a little. Yeah. You know, you need like, okay, oh, you find out Dumbledore is uh, manipulating and pulling the strings. Oh, and there was a bigger plan. Oh. But like, there is a point where it's like, no, this guy is garbage. Like, yeah. like why was anyone listening to him ever? That's it. That's all I have to say. <laughs> well, and I think since we're in the middle of talking about Dumbledore anyway, how do you guys feel about him as the headmaster of Hogwarts? He doesn't do anything. I think it makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, but he, I, I feel like, I feel like he really does want to do a lot for the school. I feel like he really does love Hogwarts. But I also feel like a lot of people had a point that like they were really confused as why he didn't run to like prime for prime minister or something. And you know, I know he thinks that he might have gotten carried away with that kind of position, but he kind of does like, Prime Minister-ish and superhero-ish stuff while he's headmaster at Hogwarts. It's Like MJ said, he doesn't do a lot for Hogwarts except, um, I don't know, morning feasts or the, the beginning of year feasts. He's there for feasts, certainly. I would be, too. Yeah. But he, yeah, he has a lot of stuff to take care of outside of Hogwarts. And I'm like, why don't you give the gig to McGonagall? I feel like she would, like, no toes would be stepped out of line if McGonagall mm -hmm. was in charge. <laughs> No, yeah. and I think that as soon as the seventh book ended and, you know, the the next school year after that, you know, McGonagall takes over as headmaster and just, like, you can't even tell that the Battle of Hogwarts was there. Right. Like, she gets that school in tip-top shape so fast right. and, like, you know, she just moves so efficiently that the first years that year are just, like... Is this the place of the battle for Hogwarts? Right. And people are like, yeah, this is where this happened, and this is where this happened, and they're just kind of pointing it out, and they're like, okay, if you say so, it just looks like a castle. Right. <laughs> you know, and like, she hires competent teachers. And. <laughs> and the thing that I think is really surprising is Harry isn't really a bookish kind of person, he's more of an action kind of person. Yeah. And so you can't really go by. Harry's experiences at school and you can't really go by Ron's experiences at school because he's kind of the same way but Hermione supposedly is this amazing clever witch who's just like fantastic and you know just you know smart of her class yeah but she really even though she does kind of like pull something out of nowhere and crucial moments she's not really she doesn't really seem that much better than the other students like if it came down to just no holds barred punch you in the face battle she i don't feel like she'd be a whole lot better off than mm -mm. harry or ron and so it kind of like leads you to wonder what is she so good at 
Like, there's a lot of telling that she's smart, but not a lot of showing. Sure. And it just... Also, Rowling has said that in all the classes... Um, I think this was on Pottermore. I don't know if, if it was every class, but Draco Malfoy is just below Hermione Granger in grades. Huh. Like, and that's part of the contention between them is like, he's like, oh, I got, I'm better than her because I'm a pureblood, but right. she's just that little tiny bit better. But it, again, that, knowing that kind of like gives you an even broader view of the playing field of, well, Drago's not that much better than anyone else either. Right. He's, he's pretty good at dueling. He's all right. But it just, it kind of seems like they're all the same. Yeah. And that they're not doing a whole lot of anything. Yeah. Besides worrying about where Professor Lupin goes once a month. Right. And whether or not they can go to Hogsmeade. Yeah. So the government, I find, for the Wizarding World is very, very problematic um, in a lot of ways. Because it, I feel, is supposed to be kind of um, a reflection of Britain's government. Um, You know, there's obviously not a monarch, but there is a prime minister, and then there's like a cabinet. And then there's, you know, a a vast network of people who work in different offices. Um, But the sense of justice seems to be very skewed, where... um, there's tools available to discover who is guilty and who is not, because there's the truth potion, but they seem to never use it. Yeah. Right. Well, I can it's... I can imagine there are, like, really big legal repercussions to using it. I, I mean, um, unless it's a mm. mass murder in Azkaban or something, like... I don't like, know. Like, at what like point? At what black. point are they? Yeah, yeah. At what <laughs> point are they violating like human rights by using the true potion just on everyone? Like, that's kind of a god-given right everyone has is to keep things to themselves. <laughs> yeah, and I, I do agree with that. Uh-huh. I don't want you to misinterpret my next statement as being like, you know, well, here's this, but because it seems like the only jail they have is Azkaban where the dementors are and where they like literally slowly suck out your soul and all happiness from you. It feels like, Oh, and they're all lifetime sentences too. Um, I think it feels like I would rather use the Verisatum to prove that I don't belong. (laughs) Yeah. Like, or at least like I would have that as an option for people who want to Plead not guilty. Right, right. Like, I am not guilty. Give me the truth potion and, like, you will know for sure that I am not guilty. That's a good point. Well, it's the truth potion and it's that eyeball looking thing, legis, legimency or whatever it is. Leglimency. And you can show memories. Even mm-hmm. memories can be tampered with, but you can still put your memories in a pensive if you wanted to show exactly what happened. Right. It's just, there's so many options. There are. Why is there any kind of trial at all? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you need a judge and jury. I think it's pretty much, you know, do you plead guilty or not guilty? And if somebody says, well, I plead, you know, not guilty, they say, here are your options. And choose even, one. Even if you plead guilty, though, because Morphin pleaded guilty to the murder of the Riddles. Right. And mm, that's right. Because he pleaded guilty, 
nobody looked any further into it. Right. So it should just, for everybody, do you want to use any of these options? No. Okay, saying no. It does become kind of a, a you know, privacy issue. But, but yeah, if they if have the choice, saying, if they have the choice, that doesn't, yeah. that seems like it would work a lot better. At least have the option. Whereas yeah. in the current system, it seems like there is no option. It's, we think you're guilty, therefore you're guilty. Right. Yeah. And of, I don't know. I just, I Prior see. Prior Tatum? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many things. <laughs> Sorry. That was one of the trivia questions at my cabin that no one could get. We were do- there was a spells section, and someone was like, "What is the spell you say to see the last spell that a wand has used?" And I lost my mind because I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> I just I see the use of dementors as, I mean, not being a death sentence per se, but close enough that it feels like you know if the just if our justice system were to use the death sentence or a life sentence on every single crime like there would be massive problems massive problems yeah you'd have people just turning against the government entirely because yeah you'd be like well i'm not going to report this person for stealing bread because i know that they're going to die also my issue with the dementors is that they are a form of dark magic and i find it really hypocritical that they're being used at all yeah. Also, you're putting people like Bellatrix Lestrange in this place. Right. And knowing that the Dementors are going to make her lose her mind even more. Yeah. And just, it's just hoping, dangerous. Oh, well, they, they can't escape. Fingers crossed. Right. Rather than being like, hmm, this person is uh, obviously unstable or, you know, maybe they made a mistake. Let's try and rehabilitate them because they're a witch or wizard and they have the power to manipulate the fabric of the universe. Yeah. I think it's more in our interest and the interest of humanity in general if they're not insane. Right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Just... Like, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's us. We told you we'd get fired up, guys. It's yeah. <laughs> it's really, really close to all of us. We're very passionate about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to talk about dark magic a little bit, because I just cannot figure out for the life of me how dark magic is just, like, so universally accepted as, like, a thing that happens. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. This is okay. You have lit the match. Uh oh. <laughs> Sorry. I, I'm gonna tell Mary Jane to not yell here. Because like like see all this? It's all clipping that you get from talking too loud. <laughs> okay. I think the concept of dark magic is absolute crap. Like the it's just magic. All of it's just magic. Right. Obviously, the Ministry doesn't have a hard time with Dementors. They don't really care that much about the dark magic. Also, they teach a spell in school called the Jelly Legs Jinx. And it makes your legs turn to jelly, I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. If somebody casts that on you, and you did not want that cast on you, and you fall and hurt yourself. Yeah, it's a big deal. Or late. Or, yeah, it's, that's dark magic. Like, you, somebody did something to your body that you did not consent to. Right. How is that okay? Right. You're right. And a lot of the things that happen in Hogwarts, I'm like, ooh, that is really pushing it. <laughs> like, yeah. there's a line you just crossed. And 
everybody just seems okay with it. Like, well, you know, huh, that's a thing that happens because magic. And I'm like, no, you don't get to just come up to me and play a prank that rearranges the chemical and molecular composition of my body for a laugh or for revenge or for whatever. It's not okay to do that to people. Right. Just like you don't get to walk up to somebody and just slap them because you feel like it or because you're mad at them or for any reason. Yeah. I, I have beef with Nocturne Alley. um, (laughs) Cause (laughs) it's so dumb. Here's the thing. When we talk about like the black market, in our society, there isn't an actual physical market that you go to to buy drugs or, you know, body parts or hire a hitman. Right. Like, that just doesn't exist. But for the wizards, it is an actual physical place. Right. This, like, black market. And a place that 12 year olds can easily go to. Yeah, small children can just, like, take a wrong turn. Like, oops, I meant to go to the ice cream store. Right. And these stores just, like, openly sell dark magic. Yeah, that seems just, wrong. What's, like, like Mary Jane said, like, where is the line where something becomes dark magic? Because there are things that are really bad that are acceptable. And then there are things that are not as bad that are unacceptable. Like, uh, that hand that Draco looks at in the second book, where he's like, oh, this looks really cool. And the shopkeep is like, yes, that is friends to uh, thieves and burglars alike, because it gives light only to the person who's holding it. And you're like, why are you selling that? (laughs) First of all, yes. Why are you selling that? Why are you selling that openly? And finally, that doesn't seem like really that bad. I mean, it's obviously bad, but as compared to, again, like the Jelly Legs Jinx, which is actually physically harming someone, it doesn't seem quite as dark magic as everything else does. The thing that I don't understand, it's like, what do you gotta do to be expelled from the school? (laughs) You have to be Harry Potter, first of all. Yeah, and then you won't. And then you won't. Just, as far as I can tell... You can do anything except for actual murder. Like, you have to actually kill somebody. Draco Malfoy goes around telling people that... Okay, let's let's say Draco Malfoy was just a muggle. And he was going to his normal muggle school. And he's like, by the way, guys, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, they're less than us. We should round them up and kill them off like animals and have would have dominion over them that kid would be expelled so fast yeah. if they would just be done they'd be like no we're we're out of here tolerating it, yeah <laughs> like you want to act like this at our school no but at hogwarts ah, well, well slytherin is fine. almost they almost are prided in their like yeah. hatred yeah <laughs> it's what salazar slytherin would have wanted and he's one of the houses so what you gonna do? And everyone knows that in the wizarding world, we love tradition more than anything. That's why we use quills and uh, parchment paper and still practice like open racism. It's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. And that is a perfect segue, I think, into the next <laughs> thing. Why the heck do they not use muggle technology that is better than wizarding technology? That is the biggest... That is honestly, I think... And uh, Okay. I think that is the biggest... 
plot hole in the movie is so many problems would have been solved if someone just made a quick call on a cell phone. Even a landline would have done, you know. But I, I, I see the reason for rolling, including it, because it really does add a lot of charm. But it is also really frustrating knowing that um, a lot of lives probably could have been saved with a, with a phone call or, you know, driving a car instead of a broom. <laughs> like, I mean, what about in the seventh... In the seventh movie, if they all drove cars instead of brooms, how, I mean, would Moody still be alive? You know, like one, they wouldn't have expected it. They wouldn't have expected a bunch of wizards to drive cars. But also, how can they possibly think to get away using dark magic in front of a bunch of muggles? Like, you know, it's I I suppose they don't care. Right. But I think that I don't know. I think about that all the time. Can we put a pin in that? Yes. What? Um, we're going to put yeah. a pin in the scene there. I think I want to talk yes. about it when we talk about specific story points. Okay, but cool. Yeah, we were talking specifically about that scene last night. Rowling <sighs> did mention that the magic, especially around Hogwarts, is so intense that it makes muggle technology kind of go a little haywire. Okay. Um, but you still like have pens? a point. Yeah. Like, Will it make pens go haywire? <laughs> but see, and that's... That's just it. Because there is a line. Yeah. yeah. Because ballpoint pens rely on a vacuum and on... Gravity. Gravity. Yeah. That's it. And... (sighs) But it... Okay. Let's operate in a world where the magic really does make iPhones or whatever not work right. Sure. How hard would it be to just, like, have that landline just, like, right outside the border? Right. Mm-hmm. And or just teach kids in class just like this is how to use a computer. Right. If you're going to have anything to do with the Muggle world at all, you need to know how to drive a car. Well, yeah, file your taxes. And that's another point: is they don't prepare these kids for living in the Muggle world at all. It's almost as if they expect to shun Muggles altogether. And be like, hey, you're going to live in a completely wizard saturated world, which usually isn't the case, especially for people like for Muggleborns, like. You know, they're going to go yeah. back home every summer. I mean, I guess they kind of get taught themselves by, by their parents. But I don't know. I feel like there are a lot of useful muggle things to learn, like computers. Um, yeah. Stuff like that. Well, and you bring up a good point about the way that I think wizards and muggles interact with each other. Because I think it's Seamus in the very first book talks about his parents. How his dad is a muggle and his Mom's mom a is a witch. And, you know, he says, yeah, it was a really nasty shock for my dad when he found out. So clearly, the two are interacting with each other. Right. Maybe his mom was a muggle-born, and so she just, you know, interacts with the muggle world on a habitual basis anyway. Right. But we also know that, like, there, there are more, like, wizard and muggle communities that are kind of, like, integrated than there aren't. Right. So... I mean, they have to interact with each other on a regular basis anyway. Why is Arthur Weasley's job not more important? Right. Why does Ron not know what a telephone is called? A felitone? Yes. Yeah. Like, how... <laughs> That's, how like, it's, it's that a... Up? It's kind of, you know, on the educators, I think. <laughs> Like yeah. that, there's no reason why why a, a wizard shouldn't know the most important form of uh, muggle communication, and it's yeah. a good it's good. We did good too. Like we don't have magic, but we made do. Like it's impressive. Yeah. We did better. 
Again. I'm going to write this letter with my quill that I have to dip in ink every two seconds, roll it up, and then give it to this owl, and they're going to fly to wherever the, this person is. It's frustrating. I have to wait for them to write a letter back. I'm just going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs while they do this. It's frustrating, no, man. Just shoot them a text. Yeah. <laughs> just call them from anywhere. Oh, and... I went down this, uh, like, kind of logical rabbit hole one night at work, and I thought, well, okay, so they don't do, like, mass manufacturing, I don't think. We know that they have printing presses because, um, like, Ron has a few publications that we see in the second book that are just kind of piled up in his room, and obviously, like, books exist, and they're not all, like, handwritten Right. But, like, what about other things that need to be manufactured? Like toilet paper. (sighs) (laughs) I just thought, like, can you imagine living in a world where it's like, well, here's softer parchment paper. Right. Oh, still parchment paper. No, thank you. Hard pass. And I don't know if this is, like, you know, my smartphone listening to me or whatever, but... I actually came across an article about a week later online where somebody had asked about that. Uh And Rowling said, I kid you not, that wizards used to just, like, mess their pants and then magic it away. And then at one point they did start to do toilet paper in the bathrooms. And it's just like... That is is some hardcore racism to be like no we're better than those mothers. yeah we don't need to wipe our feces from our bodies jeez <laughs> that's commitment it really is i guess another thing that slightly bothers me is the apparent ease with which you can invent your own spells like i know that snape was a above average in intelligence and wittiness and stuff but he mm-hmm. creates his own really, really deadly spell. And I wonder what the rules are behind like behind that. Because apparently James made the Levy Corpus spell, or someone did, because it was really popular during that time. Like, spells come in and out of fashion, someone says. And it's like, are there rules? Does it have to be Latin? Um, do wizards in other countries that don't have Latin-based languages have their own set of spells that do the same thing but are said different? You know, like, why would they... Why would wizards that spent centuries, millennia growing growing up in, you know, maybe Southern Africa or something, why would they have been using um, Latin spells, you know? And I think maybe I'm just frustrated that she never explained it because I'm so curious, but I feel like I feel like the Latin spells can't be a, like, cover-all kind of thing, you know? Yeah, they can't be universal. But it does bring up the good point. Why is Latin not taught? In Hogwarts. Right. Yes, you've brought that up, Audrey, to me. I remember that, and it's a very good question. But ancient runes is whatever that means. (laughs) (laughs) Hermione just takes it because it's available, and I'm like, girl, like, that is a friggin' waste of time. The other thing I have a problem with is the dependence on wands. I know on Pottermore they've talked about that some cultures just kind of don't bother with wands, which leads me to wonder there are cultures that don't bother with wands and why aren't wands used as more like a tool mm-hmm. rather than a necessity it's like oh i can do most of these spells on my own but this spell requires a little more finesse and a little more focus you know it's just it seems like a huge liability to have this little wooden stick and without it i'm a muggle 
you know, and <laughs> just, right. you don't think like any parent at any point is like, hmm, you know, we're going to teach you all this muggle stuff, but we're also going to teach you how to do spells without your wand. Because if your wand breaks or you lose it because you're a 12 year old boy and you lose things, you're not defenseless. You know, you can do basic spells like a shield charm and Lumos and, you know, just like little, little, like just stuff to keep you alive if you're stranded somewhere. Nothing too complicated even. Or you could do things that are complicated. Why not? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. And side note, it just makes me think about the uh, Wizard Swears video. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Broke my wand. Why aren't more people breaking their wands? Harry carries his wand while playing Quidditch, a sport where he has broken multiple bones. And yet his wand just seems to be okay until the opportune moment in the last book where Hermione has to save him from Nagini. It just, why aren't kids left and right just accidentally breaking their wands and going, oh, crap, now I'm to call my mom on the landline that's just outside of Hogwarts. (laughs) Mom, I broke my wand again. Okay, let me wire you some money. Yeah, Yeah, well, and they're so expensive, too, because I think it's like, what, 30 galleons for a wand? Which is like a ridiculous amount of money. What if you're a witcher wizard and you don't have that money? There's a fund, apparently, for Mm. for witches and wizards that can't afford things like that. But just... And I get that they're supposed to be, like, like very personal to the witch and wizard. But, like, why not just have, like, generic wands at school? Because I feel like this would fix so many problems. Like, Like generic brooms. You have... Yeah. You... You pick up a wand at the beginning of class, and you put it back in the box on the way out. You don't have duels in the hallways in between classes. If you need to practice your spells for homework, like, go to designated homework places where they have, again, generic wands that you can check out. It's a school. They should be checked out for free. Mm -hmm. And then when you graduate... You get your own wand because you are 17 years old and you are a little bit more responsible with it. And you presumably have the skills to use it. Because, like, what if somebody is almost a squid? They buy a wand for what? Like, nudging their coffee mug, like, six inches closer to them? Right. Yeah. (laughs) I just fixed everything. (laughs) We can stop this episode now. I just fixed everything. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. So we've talked about the wizarding world as a whole, but um, as this is a Harry Potter episode, shall we talk about the stories specifically and some of the plot holes that we uh, just hate? And I don't want to, yeah, and I don't want to, I don't want to talk about the movies too much personally. There are just a few things that the movies I think should have included in their, in their remakes. But yeah, I think, I I think most of all, we should talk about the actual actual story itself let's get the seven deadly sins of the movies out of the way because we have all read the books and watched the movies and i know that not everybody listening to this has i'm sure there are people who have only read the books or only watched the movies i actually haven't seen all the movies which movies haven't you seen i've seen the first two and then i was really just kind of done with harry potter at that point and uh, and then i think i saw the last one and some clips of other ones. But the last yeah, one just, is... I never really... The last me. one, the first part of the seventh movie is actually Michael's favorite Harry Potter movie. So um, I think they're... 
think they're worth a watch, you know, at least once. I think I'd enjoy them better now. At the time, I was just like, I was just so done. Right. Like, I barely even read the last book. Like, honestly, I just like skimmed through it. I read the first inch and then the last inch and then just kind of like fiddled with the middle part and was like, mm-hmm. I got it. Yeah. And I've, I've gone back and reread it since then. But at the time, I was just like, I was so tired of Ron. I was so tired of Harry. <laughs> right. And just so tired of everything. <laughs> like, just kill him already. Ugh. All right. So as I mentioned, the seven deadly sins of the movies. It may not be seven total. It may be more. It may be less. But it's catchy when you say seven deadly sins. It really is. So the first beef that I have is the exclusion of some of the characters um, from the books that just don't make it to the movie. And I know movie making, you have to cut some things out for the sake of time because you cannot make four hour movies. Right. People are not going to go see that or they will, but they're going to complain about the lack of intermission. Right. I really hate that Peeves, the poltergeist, Professor Binns, the history teacher, and Percy Weasley are not in the movies. Like, I know that Percy is a little bit, but as it gets kind of later on, his role in the books is actually bigger, but his role in the movies is non-existent. Right. I agree with you there. That's actually my... I have one per movie that they're missing a character that maybe isn't key, but is, like, they could have... I mean... In the third movie, they didn't include Sir Catagon to the extent that he is involved in the books. Although you can mm-hmm. see him kind of popping up in the background with little ha ha, hmm, you know, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't, I, I feel like if a 10 second diversion of Harry and Ron being distracted by this little night painting wouldn't have been that hard. And yeah, yeah and Peeves is one of just, he's a staple. Yeah. yeah. And so for those who have never read the books and who've only seen the movies, Peeves is the castle poltergeist. And he shows up in every single book, even the last one where they're not going to school. He shows up and he actually is like, yes, battle for Hogwarts. Like I have waited centuries for this. He goes around and he causes a lot of just like inconveniences for a lot of the students and faculty. And Filch, the caretaker, is like his, you know, mortal enemy. They're just mortal enemies. And so there's just kind of like this narrative in the background that's constantly going on of like Filch versus Peeves. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Peeves likes aggravating him. There are a couple of plot points where Peeves is kind of important, just like, you know, he causes a ruckus and Filch is like, ah, I've got to go fix that. And it enables Harry to like get up to more shenanigans. But for the most part, he's just, like, part of what makes Hogwarts so quirky. And it's just so sad that it's not there in the movies. Um. So in the first movie, we have lack of peeves. In the second movie, we have... Oh, yeah. In the second movie, we have lack of bins. I think that's kind of where he makes a pretty a big impression. Um, yeah. Something I miss, too, is the lack of Crookshanks in Prisoner of Azkaban. She's not even a character in the movie. But yeah. her friendship with Sirius is uh, his his friendship with Sirius I is like one of my favorite parts is that he's a, a legitimate animal. Sirius is kind of an animal, but an animagus, but they're still animal friends. I, yeah, 
And that Crookshanks is smart is that he picks up on, he picks on things that no one else does because he has animal senses. I just thought that was so good. Yeah. It's also crucial to how, how they get serious. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Crookshanks allows Sirius to um, get onto the Hogwarts property. And Crookshanks is also the one that actually um, stops the Whomping Willow. It's seen kind of as chance in the movie. Like, you know, you got to be lucky to get through the Whomping Willow's branches. Um, but in the books, there's actually like a knot in the tree that if you press it, it stops the branches. And Crookshanks is the one that actually presses the knot and allows everybody to get through. It makes way more sense because Lupin isn't a werewolf going under the Whopping Willow. He's a person going under the Whopping Willow right. who later will become a werewolf. And so it doesn't make sense. Okay, Lupin, you know, 13 year old Lupin, go try and get past the Whopping Willow every single month so that you don't accidentally kill people when you're a werewolf. Like that doesn't even make any sense. That is characteristic for Dumbledore though. Isn't it? <sighs> that make that it is. more complicated than it has to be. And, all the time that they spent fighting the Whomping Willow could have been spent on the 22nd scene going, this is Crookshanks. Yep. She's my cat. But yeah. but they had yeah. to be formulaic. They had to have that, like, action Dramatic. scene. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And this is something that the fans have pointed out that I just really love. But somebody pointed out online that the third book is interesting because you have Crookshanks, which is an orange cat or a ginger cat. You know, kind of rejected. Nobody wanted um, this pet. And over the course of the book, this ginger cat makes friends with a shaggy black dog. And the two, who feel like outcasts, become friends with each other. And I was like, oh, rolling you. (laughs) It's it's not super subtle imagery, but I do like that, you know, the whole point is that Hermione really does care about Ron um, throughout the whole series. And you see that in her love of this, like, rejected ginger cat. <laughs> right. It is really sweet. Um, um, I want to go, go back to Professor Binns just for a minute, because, again, like, I, I do want to operate under the assumption that there are people listening to this who have not read the books. Right. So Professor Binns, uh, much like Peeves, is very much just kind of like a flavorful part of the um castle. He is the history professor, and he is the only faculty member that is a ghost. And the rumor is that he was the history professor when he was alive, and one day he died, and he just didn't notice that he died, and just went to go (laughs) teach class anyway. He is very dry and boring. All he does is lecture, and he plays an important part in the second book in that, um, he is the one that the students ask about the Chamber of Secrets, which makes sense. Um, he is the history professor. And in the movie, they just kind of relegate that to McGonagall, which, you know, she's been there for a long time. So it it does make sense in the context of the movie. But it is just like an extra layer of complexity right. that the books have that the movie does not. So Goblet of Fire... Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, a very apparent lack of elves, which is yes. elves, excuse me, which is a pretty big part of that, um, book too. Um, Winky is a very key player in Barty Crouch Jr. You know, I mean, at least in the beginning she is, 
um, Barty Couch Jr. getting to where he is. Um, and the spew SPEW thing that Hermione starts is key to my favorite Ron and Hermione moment ever in the books. That is not mm-hmm. in the movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which we'll get to because yeah. it comes up later. But yeah, Hermione discovers like just how horrible the plight of the house elves is. And so she starts her own society at school, the Society for the, um, I don't even remember. Society for for the Protection of Elfish Welfare. That's right. And she knits a whole bunch of caps in the fifth book um, and leaves them around the common room so that hopefully she can free the house elves from Hogwarts. Because once she discovers that Hogwarts has like 50 house elves... She's, like, horrified yeah. by it because she's like, it's slavery. And literally every kid that's grown up as a wizard is like, they like doing housework. They're called house elves for a reason. And she's like, no, it's inhumane. And we discover throughout the books that Winky is devastated when she is um, freed from her home. Like, it right. actually causes a severe depression. Right. She cannot function being a free elf. Dobby is the outlier. He is not the uh, norm. He's yeah. not the example of what's normal. And Ron says that, well, yeah, there's nutters in every um, species, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's that. Um, and we don't really see house selves again in the movies until Dobby shows up again. Which is just kind of weird. Or no, I guess that's not true. We do see um, Creature. So in the entire movie universe, there are two house elves. That's it. And you know, I mean, Creature is my beef with the seventh book. And I think there's a lack of, I mean, he plays a key part too. And they see him in passing again. But Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he doesn't appear as often as he should to have the story make as much sense as it does in the book. I, yeah. But we'll get to the seventh book later. But yeah, there are two house elves in play, but there are actually like uh, hundreds, thousands that exist in the world. And I think yeah. I, it it would have been so fun to see all the all the the gang go down into the kitchens of Hogwarts and see the matching tables that magically like set the food up on the feast tables upstairs and oh man yeah so finally I mentioned that um I I'm really upset that Percy is missing from the movies and again like I know that he's there in the first movies but. In the books, later on, once the wizarding world becomes more divided over this issue of whether or not Voldemort is back, Percy actually um, sides with the ministry because that's what he's wanted to do his whole life. He's basically wanted to be a bureaucrat his whole life. And so once he becomes Cornelius Fudge's assistant in the books, he actually just cuts all ties with his family because his family's on Dumbledore's side. But the ministry is not, and he very much sides with the ministry. And I think it actually provides a very important um, detail to the fact that this issue is so divisive that it will divide families. And it just doesn't really feel like that in the movies. It feels very much like, well, you're right and you're wrong. It's not an issue of, well, I am misguided I misunderstood and well, I have more information. It's a lot more nuanced in the books and in the movies. It's just like, you're either on the good side or you're on the bad side. And it's like, well, no, Percy's not a bad person. He's just 
misguided. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think he puts too much um, faith in the ministry always doing the right thing, which I think is actually a common problem. I think a lot of people don't realize that higher-ups can also lie. (laughs) You know, they also have that ability, but it's just too egregious to consider. So another of the seven deadly sins of the movies that I have beef with is leaving out the fact that the Marauders of the Marauders map were Lupin, Sirius Black, James Potter, and Peter Pettigrew. Do they never say that in the movie? Mm-mm. Nope. What? And that was such an electrifying moment in the book. To realize like, that. Holy crap. Like, I think they had st- to have assumed that most people would either have read the books or just assumed that it was them, but that's ridiculous. They should have said that. Yeah, I can't yeah. believe they didn't. I didn't even notice that. Well, and it's one of my favorite parts of the book. It's it's one of the things that makes it my favorite book. Is this, like, history that Harry gets to have, like, a tangible connection to with his father and his father's friends. Which doesn't really exist for him, given that they were victims of this wizarding holocaust. You know? The only thing he really knows is that they're dead. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, like, really the only connection. And he's got a bunch of people saying, oh, they're really nice people. But, I mean, that's the extent of it. Yeah. So I, and I asked my mom, who's one of the people that only watches the movies and who hasn't read the books, and she said that it never bothered her. But I mean, every time I watch the movie, I'm just like, how hard is it to explain their nicknames and just be like, oh, P.S., this map that you have, you know, just there's the ending scene in the movie where Lupin is giving the map back to Harry. All he has to do is say, like, it's good to see it again. Yeah, it was good to see it again. Exactly. You know, I I worked on this. That's how I know what it is. Because literally, Lupin just takes it from Severus Snape in the movie. And he's like, well, I'm the Defense Against Dark Arts teacher, so I should be in charge of this. And he, like, he knows exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. And there's no explanation in the movie for how he knows what it is. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I'm angry. Um, I really dislike that the fifth movie leaves out the scene at St. Mungo's Hospital yeah. where the kids see, first of all, Lockhart. Which is the is- best. Um, the nurses just like love him because he's so charming and handsome and they treat him like this, you know, kind of untrustworthy little child. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's so good. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of good to know that magic can't fix everything, um, that it has its limitations, because up till that point, you know, it's just been Madame Pomfrey in the, you know, nursing ward being like, okay, I'm going to grow your bones back. And it seems like such a quick fix that I do just appreciate that there's like an Obliviate spell happened with a broken wand and it backfired and we don't know how to fix it. So you're just going to be here while we try and figure it out. I really like that. So that's a charming moment, but then things take a turn for the sad because they also see Neville Logbottom's parents there who were literally tortured to insanity during the first wizarding war. And it adds such a good amount of backstory to Neville, like just 
finding out why he is just so, like, sad all the time. You know, and he tries really hard to be such a good person, but he has to live knowing that his parents just don't recognize him. And so they see a little bit of that interaction at the hospital between Neville and his parents. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking and just so important, I think, to the character. And I'm so sad that it's not in the movie. Right. Maybe if you spent a little less time shipping people, whoever directed the movies. Yeah. A little more time explaining. Just. And one last thing from the movies that I have beef with is... The scene at the very end of the last movie where Harry breaks the Elder Wand and, like, throws it over the bridge. And it's because in the book, what he does is he actually fixes his own wand, which breaks earlier on in the book, with the Elder Wand, which is the only wand powerful enough to fix other wands. Um, Generally, when wizards break their wands, they just have to get a completely new one. Um, He fixes his own wand... And then he gives the Elder Wand back to Dumbledore. Like, he lays it back in the tomb, and he's like, I am the owner of the Elder Wand, but if I die um, without, you know, anybody taking the Elder Wand from me, then it will belong to no one, and it will no longer be the most powerful wand in the world. And it's great. I love it. Because he... (sighs) I see the scene of him fixing his own wand as accepting that his tie to Voldemort happened. Right. Right. Obviously. It's therapeutic. Yeah. And obviously the scar is there, but he doesn't get to choose the scar, but he does get to choose the wand. You know, he could have said, well, the elder wand is mine now, but instead he's like, I know that I share the same kind of core in my wand as Voldemort's wand did. But it is still my wand. And he just takes ownership of that. And I'm just like, yes, this is so perfect. It's so cathartic. And the movie was just like, no, this is more visually dramatic. Snap it and I throw it away. (laughs) Okay, I am done ranting about the movies. Let's let's go over the books. (laughs) Okay. I have a question about the Goblet of Fire. This is the first instance where we see Dumbledore use his Patronus to communicate. And Mm. that is actually an awesome form of communication because Patronuses probably travel faster than owls. They're, like, not real things. So why isn't that form of communication used more often than owls? Like, for wizards that can produce Patronuses, why don't they use that more? (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) And it speaks with your voice. That is actually a huge issue that I have with just, like, the curriculum as a whole. If I were a witch, I wouldn't want to learn the Jelly Legs Jinx. <laughs> Who even cares? Yeah. I'd be like, okay, what are the most powerful spells? What do I need to learn to learn the most powerful spells? I don't care about turning this teacup blue. If I want a blue teacup, I'll just go buy a blue teacup. People make blue teacups. It's not like there is a shortage of that. It just, that drives me crazy. As as soon as I step on the school, I'd be like, okay, I want to be an Animagus. I want to do Expecto Patronum, uh, Patronus, whatever it is. I want to learn the Unforgivable Curses. I want to learn a shield charm. I want to learn how to make fire. Yeah. And how to do Lumos. Mm -hmm. Like, you could survive in the wild with all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. 
stuff out. Oh, I'm going to make this broom sweep on its own. Who cares? <laughs> like, right. I just, I don't understand. I yeah. don't understand the curriculum and why they teach the spells that they do. Yeah. Oh, you can levitate things. How often do you need to levitate anything? Right. I've lived my whole life never being able to levitate things, and yet I'm here. I feel like it worked. a pretty good life. I feel like it worked <laughs> levitating those 50-pound bag, 50 pound bags of flour. It might actually That'd be true. really nice. True. Yeah, true. I would accept that. But that, that brings up a good point, too. Why is... Why is it just everybody learns all this stuff? Why isn't it more specialized? Like if music or not music, magic is so can get so advanced. Yeah. Well, like it Well, you do find that after they after a few years, like after their third year, they do get to choose what they want to go into, but they don't offer more classes than than they uh, Yeah, they don't Well, yeah, cuz You can go into specializations, like, I I feel. Yeah. But I think that a lot of specializations have to come after school. Like, I wonder if there's apprenticeships or something, because Hermione takes all of the electives available, but it's only, like, I think six total electives. She takes divination, which she eventually drops, um, care of magical creatures, arithmancy, muggle studies, um, ancient runes. That's only five. It just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot going on. No. And it's like, what if you want to get into the medical field? Those are more spells. Harry even thinks yeah. that. Yeah. When when he cuts his finger on a corner of the mirror, he's like, why have I never learned how to heal my own wounds? Right. You know. That seems really convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there's something about it that can just go horribly wrong, and so they don't teach me. I don't know. Well, but apparition can go horribly wrong. They That's talk true. about this throughout like half the series and yet it becomes like a standard like not course, but definitely like it's not a year-long course that they have to take, but it is a course that they have to take. I think their 6th year um because it's important. That's how they expect adults to get around is to apparate. And not every adult does. But it is an expectation to at least try to learn how to. Right. So yeah, why like, <laughs> why is it that they don't learn to heal their own wounds? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, that seems so essential. Yeah. Um, I see your point, Carmen, but I'm I'm still mad. I understand. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It yeah. is frustrating. There are, there are better things to learn, I think, than the jelly legs, Jinx. Yeah. Let's see. Or the. When Hermione sends a flock of parakeets at Ron, why did she are learn you ever going to need a f- for bo- oh, boyfriend man. drama? <laughs> oh no, my house is being swarmed by Death Eaters. Good thing I know how to summon a, a bunch flock of, of parakeets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll stop them. Which let's talk about Ron and Hermione's relationship oh, for yeah. a little bit. It's just, I just never feel it. And I think... In the books, Carmen, you never, you never, like, you never were on board with it, even reading them? I, like, I see it more now as an adult, because I think I was a little clueless as a kid when I was first reading that them. That hate is really close to love. <laughs> and, yeah. 
And I think that it's kind of, it, it makes sense in that, like, I think Harry was also a little clueless to it. Like, I think he knew, sort of, but it wasn't really super important to him. Yeah. Like, the relationship between his friends. Yeah. So, and since it's told from his point of view, like, you just don't see that developing relationship right. as much. But He certainly noticed, though. Um, yeah. I think he, and every time he does, there's, like, a little note of it. Like, there's a little note of him noticing Ron, noticing Hermione's shrunken teeth, and he kind of just, like, thinks about it for a second and then moves on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a self-centered teenage boy, so I can forgive that. But at the same time, like, I just, I I don't know. I didn't have that feeling of, yes, I felt it even less when they were destroying the locket. And it's like, oh, like, who would ever choose you over Harry Potter? And I'm just like, Ron. Yeah, just get a grip. Just how many times does Harry Potter need to say, there's nothing going on between us. P.S. I dated your sister, so obviously I'm not, there's something yeah, yeah. going on there. Also, how many times have I... You know I'm not enjoying this. Right. You know I'm not like, oh man, I'm glad I'm the chosen one. And see, that's... I'm so glad things happened to me like this. That's the insecurity of Ron, is we know that Harry hates that, but Ron is just never sure, because Ron... I think Audrey made a good point when we were talking about this. Ron is the youngest brother of a family of seven, Um, He is often overlooked. He's never felt special in his life. So when he finally has like maybe something going on with a with someone that he really cares about, I like I would be scared that it would be too good to be true, too, I guess. It is really frustrating because I feel like it's so I mean, I'm a I'm a woman. So maybe I feel like it's so clear that Hermione's into Ron, but maybe he really is kind of that daft and doesn't realize it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I get frustrated, too. Like Ron just I mean. That's what the locket does, though, is it just fed off of his insecurities. And that's, yeah, it was. Um, I, I, I take issue with, the reason I took issue with Spoo, Spoo, I call it Spoo, um, Spoo not being involved in the movies is because I feel like that was the most, like, appropriate way for Ron or for Hermione to finally realize, like, yep, this is the, this is the man I choose to be with when he says, like, oh, we have to get the elves out of the castle, too. Like, I mean, they don't know there's danger going on. We need to we need to keep them safe. And Hermione finally realizes, like, he's been listening this whole time. And he does agree with me. I didn't even have to prompt him to say that. And then she lays one on him. And I think it's, like, a really satisfying moment. <laughs> yeah, I think the scene in the movie where Ron and Hermione it's kiss for this first so time poor. is just so... So lackluster. Yeah. And again, it's just, like, I'm just not feeling it. In the book, it is a little bit more satisfying, I feel. Because, yeah, like you said, like... It really is a genuine moment of Ron showing that he cares about the things that Hermione cares about. Right. Whereas in the movie, it's just like, we got wet and we're scared and wet now. Let's kiss. Yeah. (laughs) What? What? Yeah, it's... It's the whole, like, I think they were like, yep, they're popped up on adrenaline and they're gonna kiss and then they're gonna laugh about it awkwardly after. And I'm like, that's not... (sighs) Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. You spent seven years developing this. I know, like, it should be, and, like, in the book, they can't, like, they can't let go of each other, and Harry's like, oi, there's a war going on. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so, I just think, I thought it was so perfect, and in the movie, oh, there was so much left to be desired. And that's honestly my biggest issue with Spew being left out. Like, it would have been fun seeing the elves, but, like, it was the perfect, 
it was the perfect moment for Ron and Hermione to finally just do it. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about the Goblet of Fire for a little bit. Um, I normally don't have much of a beef with the names of the books, but Goblet of Fire, I just, I get, I get riled up about it because I feel like the names of the rest of the books are pretty appropriate for the story, but for the Goblet of Fire, like you only see that artifact for about seven pages in the book. And it is a very, very long book. Yeah. And and I kind of have this weird, like, Mandela effect memory of the book actually being advertised as the Triwizard Tournament at one point. Right. And everybody that I have talked to says that they don't remember this, but I swear I saw it in a newspaper <laughs> advertising for the release date of Harry Potter and the Triwizard Tournament. And I was like, yes, it's finally coming out. And then I pick up the book and it says Goblet of Fire. And I was like, wait a second. Wait, what? It's the same one. But it makes more sense to me because the Triwizard Tournament takes up like two thirds of the book. Right. Yeah. Why? Why is it called the Goblet of Fire? Yeah. It just, I, I don't even think it has a better ring to it. If it had a better ring to it, I could forgive it. But I just Triwizard don't. Tournament has the whole alliteration thing going on. Yes. Yeah. Yes! <laughs> I am really missing the... Okay, first of all, um, there is a huge issue with the Half-Blood Prince movie. Like, a huge issue where they pulled some random, like, pretend drama out of their asses. I'm not entirely sure why they did it. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-mm. When they randomly decided to burn down the burrow? <laughs> In the middle of a movie. Oh, yeah. That just makes me think that they don't know what they're doing rather than they do know what they're doing. Because I assume that the reason they included it was because they're like, oh, it's a movie. And at this point, we need, you know, some drama, some action. And the sixth movie is arguably kind of boring and slow. And so I understand that they needed some action. But that was such a poor, like, that was just such a poor decision for them to do. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah, I can't even remember. Like, what was the lead up to it? Nothing, nothing. Harry and Ginny were like having some sort of moment. And then all of a sudden, there's some drama going on outside. Everyone runs outside. And um, Harry starts following Bellatrix, who's there. And she runs away and he follows her because he has some beef with her. And Ginny follows too um, because she's following Harry. They have some issues. I feel like Fenrir Greyback makes an appearance. He's like lurking around and... Um, Jenny is in danger there, but then they they go they go back and everyone's outside of the house watching the house burn down. Bellatrix and a few Death Eaters just decided like we're gonna break all the protective barriers that they explained that they put around the house before, and we're just gonna come in and burn the house down instead of actually like killing everybody. So there you go. Here's some action That's for you. <laughs> really dumb. It's so dumb. In the book, Snape himself is like once he's at this place. We're not going to be able to get to him. I know. Like, he, yeah. he says, like, it's impenetrable. They, I mean, those are powerful wizards they have. They're, most of them are Aurors, and then you have, you have the Weasleys, and it's like they did not miss any spots, and there's no way they could have gotten in, but then suddenly they can. And they get in to burn down the house, not to, not to, um, you know, kill anybody. I guess maybe that was the idea, but they had everybody standing outside right there and they had their wands, but instead they decided to burn the house and run away giggling. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> Prank. <dumb. laughs> yeah. Well, and like, 
the seventh part of the story, you know, Deathly Hallows, opens with a wedding at the burrow. Right. Like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to leave it at that, mostly because I just don't know how to articulate myself. Like, it's it's supposed to open at the burrow, and, like, the whole point is that, you know, Harry kind of reflects on the fact that it seems really weird that something so happy and joyous is happening in the middle of this wizarding war where all of these horrible things are happening and it's supposed to be like just this one moment of like things are normal and then that's where things go south is at the end of the wedding like that's where yeah you know i think it's like lupin gives the heads up like mm-hmm. oh my gosh there's death um, eaters shacklebolt that's right it yeah shacklebolt gives the heads up like there's death eaters on the way and, like, the Burrow is such an interesting character. Like, I, I do feel like burning down the Burrow is just basically killing off a character needlessly. Yeah, because they didn't have enough going on in the movie. They're like, hey, like, this is the next action, sh- like, shot we have to do. And it's it's kind of pathetic to me. Yeah. Also, why are they watching their house burn down? Why does any wizard's house burn down? Why They're can't wizards! They, yeah, why can't they? There has to be... There is. Um, what does Harry say when he's trying to fill the goblet with water? Um, Augmente. Oh, right. I mean, there's a water spell. Oh, my gosh. And I'm sure JK was, like, looking at that and saying, like, hey, I know I have some say in this movie. Um, if I did have say at this part, um, I hope she would have been, like, um, hell no. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But she, I don't know. She creates some plot holes herself, I suppose. So maybe she, I don't know, maybe she didn't care. Just what? one or two. Yeah. What What are you saying as a Death Eater too? I managed to get into this house and I didn't bring you Harry Potter. Exactly. Like, why wouldn't they have been sneaky about it? Like, they, they got in the house. Um, maybe and Harry Potter ran after them. Uh-huh. Sorry. And Bellatrix is running away. And she's, I, I guess she's trying to lure him away. But, like, why lure him away? Why not kill him there? Why not lock him inside the burning house? <laughs> Well, because lure him into a trap where he can then be taken to Voldemort. Right, exactly. And a big thing is that it is because Voldemort wants to kill him himself, which is mentioned at the beginning of the seventh book, which brings up one of my big plot holes, um, which is the uh, escort and transportation of Harry from Privet Drive to a safe house. Mm. And the whole scene is supposed to be very visually entertaining. You know, 14, I guess 13 people show up at Privet Drive and they're like, okay, six of us are going to turn into Harry Potter and seven of us are going to be the escorts and we're going to try and confuse the Death Eaters. They're expecting you to leave on the 31st on your birthday. It's the 29th now. We're going to, you know, leave a couple days early. They're not expecting it, but... We should also plan for, you know, this general area being watched by the Death Eaters anyway. And so Moody comes up with this plan. You know, we're going to have decoy Harrys. But if you think about it a little bit more, why not have 14 Harrys? Like, at that point, it's obvious that Polyjuice Potion is being used. Mm-hmm. Um. Instead of having, you know, seven escorts, obvious escorts, and then six decoy Harrys, why not have 
14 Harrys, right. you know, and you pair them up or have like, here's a group of two, here's a group of three, here's, right. you know, one Harry flying off by himself. Or, again, since it's obvious that Polyjuice Potion is being used, why not have like five Weasley twins and four Tonks and... yeah three Hermione. Why not give Harry like, the Polyjuice Potion? Like Exactly. Jeez. Or, and Mary Jane brought this up at work last night, why not give Harry the Polyjuice Potion to look like Dudley and just put him in the car um, with the Dursleys? Yeah, and drive him off. Uh, drive him off to a place that they know the Death Eaters aren't watching. Yeah, there's a lot of poor the planning safe, there. Like, woof. <laughs> there's a lot of poor planning. It's, Yeah. And then Moody mentions to Mundungus Fletcher that the escorts are going to be in more danger than the Harrys right. because, you know, they're gonna, the Death Eaters don't care about the escorts. But they're going to take they Harry. Die. Yeah. yeah. So again, like, it just seems safer for everybody to either have nothing but Harrys or have decoys of everybody else and be like, well, we can't kill any of them because any of them could be Harry. Yeah. And then Moody wouldn't have died, and Fred wouldn't have lost an ear, and... George. George. Pretty sure. Was it Fred that lost an ear? I don't remember. Uh. And, you know, just overall a better plan, I think. Again, I'm solving all of the problems here. Why did I not write this? Right. Yeah, there just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of this is how magic works and how magic can't work. To the point, like, you can't do that too much or else you end up in a midichlorian situation. <laughs> yes. Like, it, there are some, there is a point where you have to be like, well, it's a little mysterious because it's magic. But I don't think it would have been too hard to be like, here are some definite rules, some things you can and cannot do. Instead of just being like, well, we can do this now because wizards. Yeah. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I am starting to run out of steam here. Yeah. What what do we want to finish up on? What do we still have a little fire in our souls to <laughs> complain about? I just feel like in conclusion, the books are just full of people who don't seem to understand. Like I was just reading Prisoner of Azkaban and Dumbledore, sorry, Snape is arguing with Dumbledore about how Sirius Black, it's like one Sirius Black has been captured already and he's in the tower and he's awaiting the Dementors and Snape is like, oh, you don't believe my story? And and Dumbledore's like, no, I believe your story or whatever. And it's just like, well, Snape, maybe maybe Dumbledore would believe your story and not question you if you weren't so full of your own crap. Yeah. Like, it's just a whole series of books of just people full of their own crap and then being surprised by it. It's just... Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. This thing that I'm doing didn't work. I'm going to keep doing it. And then when it doesn't work, I'm going to be mad and I'm going to blame someone else. <laughs> like, oh, you wanted Lily Evans to like you? Well, did you ever consider not being a twit? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's some beef I have with the fandom. <clears throat> and, like, I'm not judging anyone's opinions or, like, views on the book. But that – and I actually argued with Michael for a good hour on our way home from the cabin about this. How Snape, I still don't – like, I still just – He's not a great guy. He no. is an immature adult that kind of got, you know, stuck in development 
in middle school, which I don't really blame him. He was an orphan and he didn't have the kind of friends that Harry had to fall back on. But geez, he, like he wasn't an orphan. Snape wasn't an orphan. Are you? Sh- oh, you're right. Not when he, at least not when he met Lily. Okay. Right. Because Lily specifically asks shortly before they start Hogwarts if his parents. I are see. Still fighting. You're right. Of course he's not because he's a prince. Yeah. Of course not. Um, okay, so I take that back. Anyway, Snape doesn't have the kind of friends to fall back on like Harry did, but I still think there should have been some moment where he grew up and said, kids suck. Um, I understand that. I'm going to not grovel, or I'm, I'm not going to sink to the, their level and be a bully myself, especially when I'm like a 40-year-old man. But lo and behold, he's a 40-year-old man bullying 13-year-old children at school. Like, yeah. it's kind of pathetic to me. And I, like, I get his story, and I'm sympathetic to his story, and I... I feel really badly that he had to be put in this position by Dumbledore to be half in a Death Eater and half out. Like, that's got to be stressful as hell. But, like, geez, I mean, it is not Harry's fault for any of this. I know he looks like your mortal enemy or whatever, but grow up. (laughs) Seriously. The guy's dead. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) like, I mean, he's as dead as it can get. Like, I mean, how can you, how can you, and. Yeah, and, like, oof, man. I think out of the three of us, to be honest, I am, like, the biggest Snape hater. Like, I am, like, sitting here being silent because I know that if I get started, it's just going to be a whole other podcast. Yeah. But, yeah, it, like, all throughout the books, Snape constantly compares Harry to his dad. And it's, like, just, like, look at Harry as his own person. He never knew his dad. Yep. He didn't have his dad's influence. And that's just the mark of immaturity is that he he sees him and he cannot separate the people. Yeah. He can't. And Arrested development, like I'm Mary, telling you. <laughs> like Mary Jane said, like he behaves in a way that is just not even acceptable for any adult or any teacher. I just I don't understand what is going on at the school because now that, does no, nobody take him aside and be like, look, I'm really sorry that Lily Evans never wanted to date. Right. But you need to stop being a twit. No, but that sounds kids. like something that McGonagall should have done is McGonagall. I, I feel yeah. like she notices. She notices that Snape's hard on them, but she always kind of says like, oh, he's head of house, you know, but maybe there's some off scenes where she pulls Snape aside, like get a grip. But I don't think she knows the extent of Snape's issues with Harry as much as Dumbledore did. And we all know that Dumbledore is not going to do anything about it. So... <laughs> Yeah. But like, okay, so in the third book, they have to deal with the Bogart, right? Who takes the form of, you know, the greatest fear of whoever is in front of it. And Neville, poor Neville, goes first. And who does the Bogart turn into? Snape. Yeah. Now, if this were even a public school in America, that would be a huge issue. Like, there'd be you a, would have a criminal investigation. <laughs> there would be there would be so many like there would be a straight up hearing where like the administration would pull Snape aside and be like, why are you this child's greatest fear? Yeah. He's oh, not God. afraid of the things that the other kids are afraid of. Like they're afraid of snakes. They're afraid of clowns. They're afraid of spiders. This kid who, by the way, his parents were tortured to insanity by Bellatrix. Why is this Bogart not taking the shape of Bellatrix? Right. It, Why is it taking the shape of you? 
Yeah, that's what pretty. I never even thought about 12 that. Twelve-year-old boy. Neville has so <laughs> much. Neville has so much more to be scared of. I mean, he's a naturally scared kid, but he has so much more to be scared of than Snape. Like things that actually pose threats or have posed threats to him and his family. But geez, that yeah, yeah. that's another neglect thing that I never even thought about. Yeah, and Dumbledore, all Dumbledore would have to do is pull him aside and be like, you know, I've had, you've had a really hard time, and you know, I understand that you do a lot for me, and I'm sure. Lily would be proud of you and all the things that you're doing. But if you can't knock off this crap with these students, I'm going to have to fire you because this is a school, right? This isn't your little playground where you get to just push people around to make yourself feel better. But he thinks it is. Like, he really does. It wasn't a happy place. Like, it was happier than, you know, most other places because it's kind of like a home away from home for him. But, like, it... Just why did you have to turn it into this place where you, like... Yeah, I'm just... I'm frustrated too. Well, and it's, yeah. And I feel like his behavior is actually oddly prescient for a lot of what we're seeing online because, you know, before the internet became a daily, like just a regular access thing for everybody, um, bullies were the ones that were like bigger or stronger and, you know, or, or just more charismatic. Right. And now we're seeing online bullies being anybody. And they're generally the ones that are more insecure about the way that they look and the way that they interact with other people. Because everyone, I don't know, anyone can be anyone on the internet. You know, you can pose a threat on the internet even if you really can't in real life. Yeah. And so, like, Snape is actually, I think, like, the prototypical internet bully. Where because he couldn't score with the ladies and because he's not good looking and because, you know, he has the tragic backstory, he needs to take it out on others. And because he just happens to be a teacher, he takes it out on kids. And that is just so rotten. It's rotten. It's also like, wow, this is your life. Yeah. This is what you hoped for, that you just bully. 13 year olds who can't do anything about it. Yeah, like what a great ambition. Like you're so powerful, Snape. So scary. (laughs) Yeah. My gosh. So dumb. Yeah. And I mean, for everybody that I see online that tries to point out, like, oh, well, Snape has such a good redemption arc. He has such a good story. Mm -hmm. He's such a complex character. I want to point to the scene in Goblet of Fire. And this is a book only scene. This doesn't happen in the movie, although I think it should have. Because I feel like the people who try to stick up for Snape have only seen the movies. There is a scene where Draco and Hermione duel outside of the potions classroom. And they both land a jinx on each other. And the jinx that Draco lands on Hermione makes her teeth grow, like, ridiculously long. Like, down to her chest. And they just keep on growing. Snape looks at the two and he's like, oh, Malfoy, like, go see Madame Pomfrey. You know, clearly you're not doing well. And the students look at him and they're like, Hermione needs to be excused as well. Like, she's not going to be able to do class like this. And he looks at her and he says, oh, well, I don't see a difference. And he just, like, turns around and goes back into class. Like, what is your life about? Like, that is so so pathetic. It's so low. Like, she's 13. so cruel. And there is a certain point as a fellow co-worker where anybody who had any kind of moral fiber at all would just be like, that's crap. Shut up, Snape. Come on, Hermione. Let's go to your 
you know, wherever. Also, Snape, if you try and dock points or whatever for me taking her to Madame Pumphrey, um, I'm going to sue gonna you. Shove <laughs> foot up your, you know, whatever. <laughs> Just like, we are trying very, very hard at this yeah. point to keep this a PG podcast. But yes, I think at this point, like, we all are just so... And this goes back to, like, the midichlorian argument, which is there are so many people that stick up for Snape. And I, you know, I've actually personally gotten this, like, well, you know, Snape, he's justified in his anger, and it's not like James was better. And it's like, no, this isn't about James. This has nothing to do with James Potter. Or his relationship... Either of their relationships with Lily. This has everything to do with the fact that on his own, Snape grew up a racist and he had racist friends at school. And when he was called out for his racism, he got all hurt. His feelings were all hurt because his crush called him out for his Nazi. After he had called her, like, I I don't know if he ever called her personally a mudblood, but like, he, he did. did. Of course yeah. he did. Yeah. And how can you blame her? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, he thinks very briefly about, you know, maybe changing his ways for Lily. But once she starts dating James, he's like, oh, well, I just give up. I'm just going to commit to being a Nazi full time. So dumb. Also, he tries to frame Lupin and... Uh, Sirius Black. And yeah, he doesn't hear part of the conversation in uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yes, Prisoner of Azkaban. He doesn't hear part of the conversation at the start that proves their innocence, but he also will not listen to them right. yeah. at all. He doesn't stop and do the rational adult thing and go, hmm, yeah. what is Lupin doing here? What are these students doing here? What is Peter Pettigrew doing here? <laughs> right. <laughs> or I guess he, Pe- Peter Pettigrew wasn't transformed at the time, but he doesn't stop and go, why are you saying that rat is Peter Pettigrew? Like, you seem very sure of this. Right. And this is he also a scene... F- he tries to get them murdered. Yeah. He's like, oh, let's bring the Dementors and have them deal with oh. you. Like, what? And... You know, this scene is actually a perfect example of his hypocrisy, too, because Dumbledore gave Snape a chance. Yeah. Um, after he after he knew that Snape was working for Voldemort, he was a Death Eater, he was a Nazi. And Dumbledore goes up to him, and this is a perfect example of Dumbledore manipulating, by the way. This is just terrible people being terrible to other terrible people. He goes up to Snape and he's like... I see you are very sad about your childhood crush being dead. How about, in the name of her memory, you join my side? I will trust you. And Snape is like, yes, you can trust me. Why doesn't Snape go, hey, Dumbledore is putting the same trust in Lupin that he put in me. Right. No, he can't do that because he sees Lupin in black as one of his childhood bullies. And he cannot grow up and be like... Maybe they changed the same way that I did, except that Snape didn't change. So I guess it makes sense that he doesn't trust people to become better. Right. I solved it. You solved it. <laughs> Done. 
I solved the mystery of Snape. Hasn't he ever seen Les Miserables? Les Miserables? Whatever it is. Where the guy's like, here's the two candlesticks or whatever. And he's like, oh, he's like crying or whatever. Because, you know, the guy's just like, gives, I mean, the guy knows that he's, anyway. Ugh. Tangent. There's no point where Snape is like, like that. Where he's like, you know, this place sucked when I went here as a kid, but as an adult. (coughs) I've got Dumbledore on my side and, you know, things aren't as bad as they could be. I'm not a Death Eater anymore. In fact, I'm working to prevent things like the murder of Mr. and Mrs. Potter from happening again to other people. That's got to make you feel good, right, Snape? (laughs) I like, I just like the voice difference between me talking and you talking because your lines are like lines and then me it's like "Ah! Ah!" i'm trying not to yell i just i'm really trying we get so fired up about it no this is good um i am now re-energized and i'm going to have enough energy to go throughout the rest of the day with all the things that i need to do yeah but uh, we've been recording for two and a half hours now. I will edit this down to probably a good hour and 45 minutes. Yeah. That... Um, but in order to do that, I think we just have to wrap it up. Yeah. So. Okay. Shall we do that? Yes. Sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, listeners, subscribers, podcast fans, and hopefully <laughs> Harry Potter fans. Yeah. Um, if you have more beefs with Harry Potter... You know where to find us. Yes. You can you can hit us up on Twitter at Kittens and Kanye. And on Instagram at Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. And if you want to um, challenge any of our beefs, we'd like to hear that as well. <laughs> yes, definitely. We are definitely open to uh, more discussion about this. Um, you can also email us at kittenwhiskersandkanye at gmail.com. And... Uh, it doesn't even have to be Harry Potter related. You can send us in stuff for our future potpourri episodes. Um, I think by the time this episode comes out, we will actually have already recorded the next potpourri episode. But since it is something that we are planning on doing frequently, don't be afraid to send it in. I've actually saved the emails for this next episode um, of, of potpourri. So, you know, don't be afraid of the timing of it. We're going to save it and we will include it in the next Potpourri episode. And with that being said, uh, if you are on the computer sending us an email for our future Potpourri episodes, uh, you know, make a, make a detour to iTunes <laughs> and leave us a review and a rating. And uh, I'm actually going to pull out all the stops now and just say, you guys know who you are. You have talked to me in person and said that you are listening and that you enjoy this. Go rate us. If you do, <laughs> go rate us and review us yes, on iTunes. So helpful. Like, we really do need those because um, it does kind of tie us into the algorithm of people who are browsing the podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it'll it'll bump us up in the recommended uh, podcasts. Right. So we would definitely really appreciate it. So until next time. I'm Audrey Stratton. I'm Carmen Thorley. I'm MJ. (laughs) And this has been Kitten Whiskers and Kanye. Um, I'm going to go make some breakfast potatoes. Bye.